ignition switches. On. RPM switches. Set. TD switches. Normal. Doors and hatches. Closed. Lay down. Strobe light. On. Restart check is complete. Clear left. Engineer. Start number two. Starting two. Wing 31010, pilot project podcast. Clear takeoff from Wing 31 left. All right, we're ready for departure here on the Pilot Project Podcast, the best source for stories and advice from the pilots of the RCAF. I'm your host, Brian Morrison. Welcome to our special Christmas episode. This week, we'll hear from three different RCAF members about what it was like for them to be deployed at Christmas. We'll also hear from a special guest, my mom, Diana, so we can find out what it's like to be the parent of a member deployed at Christmas in a combat zone. First up, joining me today from Halifax is Greg Yearling. Welcome to the show, Greg. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Greg joined the CF as a reservist infantry officer in 2001. He switched to the regular force as a pilot in 2005, getting his wings in 2008. He was then posted to 403 Squadron to fly the CH-146 Griffin in Gagetown, New Brunswick. He was deployed to Afghanistan on Apathena for 10 months, flying close to 600 combat hours over 103 missions. Those missions were mainly escort, attack, and reconnaissance duties. He achieved his A-category instructor rating and trained new instructors on the Griffin. He was posted to Joint Rescue Coordination Center in Halifax in 2019 to coordinate search and rescue missions. He has close to 3,000 military flying hours. So what year was this in? Okay, this would have been 2009. 2009. And this was in Afghanistan, right? Afghanistan, yeah. We were all around uh, Kandahar. We were busy, so we, we ended up being there for like 10 months. And there was another roto that did nine months. So we were... We were nine-month roto as well, but I was the electronic warfare officer as well. So I had a little bit of extra time just to do a handover. But we ended up flying a lot. It was a lot, a lot of flying. So it was busy. I'm just, I'm just looking for – so I kept my journal here. So uh, I wrote in it every day. And uh, actually, like this time last year, it was just a couple of days ago, this one here. This is a couple of pages where um, uh, I ended up getting shot down in a Griffin. No so way. We we were the first ones to, uh, yeah, to get shot in a Griffin. Wow. You had to land? We did, yeah. So we were on a Chinook escort mission, and we, uh, yeah, I took this bullet, went right next to my leg by a couple inches. Wow. We ended up landing in this forward operating base, and just one entry in red right here. That was when we, that was when we didn't, we didn't make the, make it wow. home with the helicopter. We were able to recover that helicopter. Um, so we're like right back into it. It's crazy to think now. It was the only way to do it, though. Like, I wouldn't want it any other way. I just, you got to get back on a horse and keep going or else you go home. So I'm just going to flip to my Christmas stuff here. Did you have a family at home at the time? I did. Yeah. I had a really big family in Antigonish, like big, big. So this would have been the first Christmas I wasn't with my family in Antigonish. And I was probably 31 or 32 at the time, I think. So, um, yeah. So it was kind of significant that it's like, all right, this is the first Christmas I'm not at home. And I was uh, flying combat operations in Afghanistan, right? So, so a little bit of risk and stuff. I know it was uh, it was hard for my family too, right? Just going away to that environment, especially at that time, Afghanistan wasn't a good place at the time. And yeah, for sure. So my family was like on edge as it was, but uh, man, they sent a lot of gifts. I'll tell you, you know, if anybody's listening to the podcast and they have, you know, any loved one or friend or anybody that's deployed, those gifts are just amazing to get. You feel isolated and stuff, and then you get this nice little connection home. 
So we got a lot of packages. So like uh, toilet paper was a big thing. We got chocolate and candy. And, you know, the great thing was, is that everybody got so much stuff that we had like a communal table where we would always meet in the mornings. Kandahar was really big and we had to drive around the airfield to get to the other side. So we only had so many little vans that we had. So we'd always meet at this table. And then if you got something that you didn't like, you leave it there. So you could go and people would hang out there. And like, so not only were we, you know, having our own Christmas presents, you know, but we were sharing everybody else's and we were sharing ours with other people too. So like, Oh, I got extra rolls of toilet paper. Here you go, guys. Like, yeah, it was, um, it was really interesting to experience that, you know, in an environment that was just, everything was Brown. I mean, if you had a green tree, it was Brown from the dust on it. Right. But of all those gifts, I'll tell you, my aunt, Terry Paro, she sent me a Christmas wreath that she made like out of fresh, like, uh, you know, balsam fir tree or whatever it is. She put it all together and she sent it and it showed up in Afghanistan. And I opened this package. It's like, what is this? And that is the gift that stands out by far the most because I put that in my tent. Um, the place smelled terrible, but a little bit of pine tree in the tent, right? Just drying out enough that the scent from that, it just smelled like Christmas. And scent is such a powerful, um, you know, reminder of places. And every Christmas I had before that, when I'm used to smelling that, would have been in Anaganish and my family's place, right? And so it was really nice to just get that smell in such a crazy place. Yeah, and to have something green too. I know when I was in the desert, um, like you said, everything is brown. You just you're just looking at shades of brown all day. Now, when you came back to Canada, was, were you shocked by the green? Yeah. Did you come back oh, in the summer or the winter? The first time in the winter and the second time in the yeah. summer. So, but both times, yes. Like it was a total it's just a shock. Yeah. It yeah, all this green. It's crazy. Yeah. It was a really strange experience. It is. A, it's really weird, isn't it? It's, it is strange. Yeah. So while we were there, I mean, the war doesn't stop at all. So we were certainly out doing missions and stuff still, although our more offensive operations had had a pause. So all your troops out in the field and stuff were doing less patrolling. There were still patrols going on. Um, and then certainly for us, our mission that day ended up being a Chinook escort to take American general out to the forward operating bases to visit some of the troops. And they would go out and thank the troops, feed them their Christmas dinner, because everybody gets a Christmas dinner still, right? So we ended up doing an escort mission uh, to a few FOBs with this general. FOBs, or FOBs, are forward operating bases. We ended up uh, going to work at like lunchtime that day. We were briefing for our mission, which is what we called Walk the Dog, which is a Chinook escort. We just follow Chinooks. And our, our uh, role in that is attack you know, protection. Uh, the Chinook is the protected force. So our job is to put ourselves between the enemy and the protected force. And obviously to do whatever we can to neutralize um, or prevent a target from touching the protected force, right? So about 70% of our work was Chinook escort. So that's what we were doing that day. And we didn't love the job because it was kind of boring. We liked more dynamic stuff like, you know, doing escort of foot patrols. That was always fun. Uh, those were pretty dynamic missions. And then any other escort or any attack work was always fun. It wasn't one on Christmas, though. Uh, of course, I brought a Christmas sweater. So I took the Christmas sweater and went flying. And then when we landed in the forward operating bases, we had time to, like, we had to wait for the general. Like, we just stayed with the aircraft in case we had to have a quick call. We just stayed right there. So we were, like, taking some pictures. And my friend uh, Craig Wiggins took this photo of me. It's been around a lot. A friend of mine and colleague, um, Steve Robertson, wrote a book about our deployment called uh, Go for Shakedown. And this picture, he asked me if he could put this on the cover of his book. So that's kind of cool. But this is really significant for me because it's the first Christmas that I wasn't in Anaganish. 
just a really nice um, sunset photo that uh, just highlights the silhouette of the helicopter and myself and my rifle. So. so for the listeners, I'll put that on the website. You'll be able to find it in the show notes. We'll put a link in there to the photos and your friend's book as well. Yeah, perfect. All right. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so we ended up picking up a three-star general and uh, flying him out to a couple forward operating bases. Like I was saying, we, we ended up shutting down and then he would go and serve meals to the troops. And keep in mind, this was Canadian helicopters supporting an American three-star general. So we were really proud about that. You know what I mean? That we were able to kind of come through. I mean, the Americans certainly did an amazing job with their Chinooks and stuff, but it was really nice to be able to have them come and ask us for support and for us to be able to provide it. So it's definitely a, a feather in our cap for sure. Anyway, so that's pretty much what we did. Then we ended up coming back and it's so funny because like we spent the day taking all these troops to go get these big meals. And in the forward operating bases, the food was amazing. Anytime we could shut down there and get food, it was awesome. On that day, we just stayed with the helicopters and they had a meal for us when we got back to camp. And uh, like, I'm sad to say we got our Christmas meal. It was a box lunch. Oh, no. <laughs> but it was still, you know, your turkey. Like you could tell the people on base tried their best to make like a good Christmas dinner. But it was probably the worst Christmas dinner I ever had. But at the same time, it was a, one of the most memorable Christmas dinners. You're with um, the people that you've been flying with day in, day out for the last couple of months in dangerous situations. And, and it was really nice because we had that at the very end of the day. Uh, so we could actually kind of relax a little bit and just talk about whatever was going on. Hey, what'd you get for Christmas? What'd you get? Like, yeah. So how are you feeling at that point being away, like having that chance to slow down and think about Christmas? Yeah, it was really surreal. There was a lot of pride, right, about the job we were doing. So we were all happy to sacrifice to go and do that. And honestly, like, look, I've been home for Christmas for over 30 years in a row. So I couldn't really complain. Um, I was grateful for the people I was with. I loved the people that I was on deployment with. Some of my best friends are still from that deployment. It was it was a lot of work getting ready to go. And then it was a lot of work while we were there. So it was, you know, almost a two-year commitment. You're with pretty amazing people at Christmas. So, you, you know, it felt, it felt pretty good. Yeah. And then after that, I went and uh, we had computer access. I mean, at the time, you know, we didn't have the technology that we have today. We had a little trailer. You got 35 minutes to go on and jump on the internet. And so I went in and I got on Skype, which was the big thing at the time, and uh, Skyped my family. So I got to like see my brothers and my nieces and nephews and all that stuff. So I really thought a lot about, you know, what it would have been like for people during World War II, you know, the Korean War, all the other deployments that Canadians have had, like all over the world, you know, peacekeeping or before we would have had this type of technology. Here I was in Afghanistan. I got a pretty square meal. I mean, I it was... Probably the worst Christmas meal I've ever had. But, uh, you know, my mom was a really good cook, too, so maybe I was spoiled. But at the same time, I had a really good meal, and I had a, an air-conditioned tent, and I had really good company, and we were, we were doing a good mission. So, you know, I'll say this. Um, you know, you're talking to pilots about their deployments and stuff like that, and I will tell you, without a doubt, it is way harder on the families, probably at Christmas time as well. Like, you, you heard about my day. Is pretty much the same. I got up, I got to hang out with some great people. I got to like burn a whole bunch of jet fuel and, and uh, a lot of distraction, you know, whereas people at home, like it's the same, except you're not there for the first time. And I don't know what that feels like. I, I can imagine that it would be difficult because I know exactly what's going on. I have all the int reports. I know what the threats are. I know what we've trained 
to do, you know, to make sure that the risk is acceptable, right? You know, I knew that I could get through this safe and I had an armored seat and all that stuff. And I knew it was just, I used to think of it as just small bullets. But from people back home, they have no military education, you know, for the most part, like my family had none. And all they know is like, you're in this place on the other side of the world where there's like really bad people finding all kinds of ways to kill people, you know, and trying to kill people, including the people that they love, right? So yeah, that must have been, must have been really difficult on them, I would think. I haven't talked to them about it though, but I just looked at another note here too. It's really interesting because when we were at Kandahar, it was always fighter jets taking off and landing and helicopters. I could tell the difference between an F-16, you know, an F-18, a drone, even some of the drones, you could tell the difference between a Reaper and like a Predator, you know, a Chinook, a Blackhawk, you know, the sounds of all the different ones. When we were shut down out at the forward operating base on Christmas, I heard dogs barking in the distance. And it was so surreal. It's like, I haven't heard a dog in like forever. A dog sounds the same in Afghanistan as it, it does in Iraq, as it does in Mali, as it does in Anaganish, as it does in Saskatchewan, right? Like that is what a dog sounds like, period. And I hadn't heard a dog until that point, which is Christmas Day. So it was just that silence that, you know, was missing in my life for sure. So I got some of that on Christmas, which is really a big reward. Absolutely. Before we go, uh, the floor is yours. If there's anything you want to put out there. Yeah. So I love, you know, just getting the information out there about my deployment to Afghanistan and being a pilot in the Air Force in general. I think it's a great job. and I love talking to people about it. If anybody's interested in my stuff, I did start an Instagram last year, which is supposed to be mostly just pilot kind of stuff. And it started out with my deployment stuff. You can search me on Instagram. It's just Greg, G-R-E-G dot Gerlink, J-U-U-R-L-I-N-K. So follow like whatever. <laughs> well, hey man, thanks so much for taking the time today to do this interview. I appreciate it. And it's a great story. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Next joining me also from Halifax is Rob Truscott. Thanks for being here today, Rob. It's good to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So before we get into your story, we'll just go through your bio quickly. Rob joined the CAF in March, 1990 and received his air navigator wings in 1992. He was posted to 443 Squadron in Victoria, British Columbia on a CH-124 Sea King. He then had various postings to 406 Squadron and 423 Squadron in Shearwater, Nova Scotia during the next 20 years, accumulating around 2,800 flying hours on the Sea King. He deployed to Afghanistan in late December 2008 until July 2009 to the NATO Regional Command South Team. He was posted to the Joint Personnel Support Unit in Edmonton after a cancer diagnosis while working as a staff officer at Joint Task Force North in Yellowknife. Rob was medically released in April 2021. Okay, so Rob, uh, you've got a story here about being on a ship at Christmas. Where were you guys for this story? As you mentioned, I got my wings in 92, qualified on the Sea King in 1993. And then uh, we were on our way back from a California trip in uh, November 1993. And the uh, ship's captain, just as we were coming into Victoria Harbor, said, oh, by the way, in a couple of weeks, we're leaving for Haiti. And so what happened in uh, summer in Haiti was the elected president had been turfed by his, uh, you know, military leaders. And so there was a United Nations embargo put in place. And uh, so we did a whole bunch of pre-deployment training, about two weeks worth. And late November off we were on HMCS provider heading for the Panama Canal. So our, our missions were mostly part of the United Nations uh, embargo, surface surveillance. We were basically 
at night making sure ships weren't trying to uh, sneak in. So we'd be checking out shipping, seeing who they were, trying to make sure they weren't trying to just sneak into Haiti, that kind of thing. We were doing things like sending off infrared video, you know, VHS back then. Uh, we would record the VHS uh, video images. And uh, the infrared did things like show ships how much fuel they had in their tanks, things like that. So we were asked if we were able to make sure we always looked at fluid levels if we went beside a ship at night. We asked why, and they said, well, because if you do a pass on the way in and then do a pass on the way out, we noticed they offloaded a bunch of their ship's fuel. That's something they could say, hey, was there someone trying to sneak fuel in? Things like that. So that basically led us up to being at sea over the Christmas period. And this was, as I said, 1993. So the satellite and email communications uh, that deployed folks have nowadays didn't exist. Mail run was the most important thing. So Christmas Eve, my crew, we were tasked to head to Kingston, Jamaica. We had set up a little logistics site there to pick up essentially what was our first mail pickup of the deployment. And so how long had you guys been uh, cruising by then? We had done one stop in Jamaica previous to that, but other than that, we'd been at sea for a month. Being a supply ship, you can go a lot longer without worrying about, you know, getting a tank of gas or anything. So on the 29th, the ship was operating mostly the southern part of the claw of Haiti, which when you look at the map, you'll see Cuba looks like a, a whale. And then going into this big claw that is Haiti, where it has these upper and lower uh, pieces. And we were operating more on the southern uh, end of the Windward Passage there. So it was about 100 miles to uh, Kingston, Jamaica. So we'd uh, fly in off the ship from there. We would go in. It's Kingston, Jamaica. Nobody's in a hurry. So you shut down, try to work, try and get some gas while you try and find the guy who's got your mail. Then we uh, managed to work our way into getting all these bags of mail, which, you know, was just blue bags that were, uh, we had about more than 50 of them there, 20 pounds a piece and, uh, or so, and just kept firing them in the back of the aircraft. This was my first big deployment. My first Christmas after being qualified. Um, so this was the first time in my military career I was doing what I had been trained to do, which was take a helicopter and go to sea, um, which was kind of interesting. I was young, single rat, so it was kind of neat to be the guy who was helping because I know a lot of the guys, you know, that was also my first long deployment. So you had a lot of guys who, you know, this was when you got somewhere, you went and found a payphone and stood in line for a payphone. So you start to understand what those Christmas packages really meant to a lot of people because I didn't have the wife and kids at home like they did. That's kind of a neat thing. So when we're heading back, you know, we've got this probably 1,000 to 1,500 pounds of mail in the back of the helicopter. And uh, we're on our way back. You know, the weather was uh, always uh, really warm. Nighttime lows, 27 degrees. You know, so we would climb up, you know, with a sea king. So you'd head for a few thousand feet and try to get the temperature down a little bit. Plus, that would get you better radio comms with the ship. The ship was HMCS provider. It was a nice old, nice old supply ship. I can't remember which ASOP we had, but I know there was a uh, Santa Claus hat. An ASOP is an airborne electronic sensor operator. What he did is he basically just sort of held it over his helmet, and we sat, he sat in the back door as we flew around the ship a few times before we landed. And then, uh, you know, usually when you have something like that, you'd wait till you shut the aircraft down, move it into the hangar before having people unload it. But people were so excited. There was like a lineup of helpers 
that they basically just said, yeah, we'll just unload first. And uh, so they basically daisy chained all these bags out of the back of the aircraft in about a minute and a half. Then we did our, our fuel shutdown and, uh, and all that stuff. It was just a fun flight. And then uh, kind of took things easy over the Christmas period, even though we were off Haiti. So, you know, there was uh, some flying on Christmas Day for the operation and stuff like that. Where uh, where would you normally have spent Christmas if you had not been on the ship? If I wouldn't, hadn't uh, been on the ship, I just probably would have uh, uh, went back to my parents' farm in central interior BC. Was being away like that, was it a big thing for you? You take it in stride because, as I said, this was also my first Christmas qualified to do the job I joined the military to do. So you're, there's that excitement of this is what I spent, you know, almost three years training for. I'm doing it now. So... You know, that Christmas at the time, it wasn't a big deal. Well, that's awesome. That must have been quite an experience to be out there and a uh, cool chance to get into Jamaica for uh, for Christmas. Was that was that Christmas Eve you were doing that? Yeah, so we flew in Christmas Eve and then uh, we actually, the ship went in for a port visit uh, for New Year's. We did New Year's uh, in Kingston. That must have been great. It was entertaining. That's awesome. Rob, thanks so much for sharing your story. That was great. And uh, thanks so much for just taking the time to be here today. That means a lot. Thank you. Oh, anytime. And any, any other things I can do to help, you know I'm here for it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, man. For this next segment, I had the guest audio improperly adjusted for the first 20 or 30 seconds. Please be patient. It improves. So the next guest I have is my mom. I thought it was a good chance to kind of have her share her story of what it was like to have her son deployed at Christmas. We've talked with a couple guests about what it was like to be away, but there's another story to be told about what it's like to be at home. So welcome to the show, Mom. Thanks for taking the time to do this. No problem, Brian. So, yeah, what was it like for you guys uh, when you found out that I was going to go away and fly in the Middle East? It was pretty scary. Um we don't really ever know what's going on over there or what you're doing. We have some clue because of uh, the type of plane that you're flying, but um, you know, we don't know what dangers are involved and uh, what your missions are and so on. So uh, I would say I was probably worried all of the time. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> what was that like? How did you get through that? Well, a lot of prayer. We prayed for you a lot. I think also uh, the way I dealt with it was by kind of putting it on the shelf, which sounds kind of weird, but um, I had to be able to completely separate myself from, you know, sometimes even thinking about it. So, uh, you know, when it's beyond your control, there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, I had to find a way of not worrying all the time. And, you know, on the flip side of all that, it's, we're really proud of you, too. And, well, of course, we still are. But proud of you for, you know, going over there and, and doing what you were doing and, um, you know, that you were a pilot and that you succeeded in what you wanted to do. So uh, there was also that consideration. And then your dad also reminded me when we were talking earlier that at that time, Cirillo had been killed in October at the Ottawa Monument, and military members were being told not to wear their uniforms. Military families just kind of kept it uh, quiet if they had, you know, family in the military. It was like 
Nobody really knew what was going on. Yeah, it was a weird time. It really was. There was Corporal Nathan Cirillo and, and Warrant Officer Patrice Vincent was run over in Quebec as well. It just at the time, you know, nobody knew if these things were connected, uh, what was going on. So there were those concerns too. We got there in uh, late October and time goes by and it started to come close to Christmas. What was that like? It was hard for sure. We really missed you, but you were a newlywed and you had Melissa waiting for you at home in Nova Scotia. So we actually got more news from Melissa than we did from you. <laughs> but we we understood that, you know, um, that you would want to talk to your wife and be in, in regular contact with her. But it was great because we have a really good relationship with her. And um, she always let us know what was going on and how you were doing. So in that respect, it was really good. We were trying to remember earlier what you guys sent in, in packages. Can you remember what, what was sent? Yeah, I know I sent you homemade Christmas cookies. And I'm sure that I would have sent you a chocolate letter, which is a Dutch tradition, your initial in chocolate. I remember Melissa sent me pajamas. Oh, did she? Because that's a tradition on Christmas Eve for us. Um, did you guys have a big dinner that year? Uh, we, well, we probably would have had a turkey because I would have made one anyway. It was hard to have you away, but it, it was particularly hard to have you overseas, especially at that time of year. Well, we were concerned about how you would be too, you know, being away from the family and being away from Melissa. Yeah, it was definitely hard for me. It was lonely that day for sure. You know, I was with a lot of great people, which made it easier. I had some really good friends that I was deployed with, but you know, I remember Melissa sent me a package and a card and I sat down I had had the card for a while, but I saved it for that day. And, you know, uh, I felt pretty emotional, I think, reading that card and knowing that it was my first Christmas married and that I was away and knowing that you guys would be doing all the things that we usually do at Christmas and that I couldn't be part of it was tough, but you kind of just let the day go by. And I know we flew on Christmas. I can't remember if it was Christmas Eve or Christmas day. And uh, the funny thing was we were on our way back from the mission. It was nighttime. And all of a sudden our commanding officer had, he had come with us for the flight and you hear him come on the intercom from the galley. And he says, uh, crew, this is the CO in the galley. Uh, we've got a stowaway back here. Oh, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Merry Christmas. And he comes up through the plane dressed as Santa Claus, uh, giving us all <laughs> presents. And he had brought up a bottle of non-alcoholic wine. And so we all had a toast on the way home. So oh, that's funny. That was kind of fun, too. So, you know, we, we did something. Yeah. And of course, we had Muriel Davidson sent us cards. Jim and Julie McFarland sent me cards. So many family and friends had sent us stuff. And that was really nice to feel that support. We put them up on the wall in the hallway so that everybody could kind of share them. Nice. So it was nice. It It was hard to be there, but it was also kind of special in its own way to be there doing something and trying to, uh, to help people in Iraq. I also remember that you had uh, had to pay some sort of a tax with getting those cookies that you weren't allowed to eat them all yourself. Yeah, I think (laughs) it was uh, the ops tax because you get your mail at ops. And uh, I think I was so excited I opened it there, which was maybe a mistake. But no, I shared it. I shared some with the ops guys, too. Did you maybe ask us for thermal socks or something? You hadn't brought enough warm clothes with you? 
I definitely did not bring enough warm clothes because I thought, hey, I'm going to the desert. I just need shorts and t-shirts. And I brought one pair of jeans and one thin sweater. And of course, at Christmas, it goes down to, you know, below 10, sometimes near zero. So I was freezing most of the time. I know Muriel Davidson sent me some some nice merino wool socks. Oh, and Tim, did we send you Tim Horton's coffee? Oh, man. I think it's so. hard to remember. There was so much stuff that came in. You know, that's kind of a classic. You get these packages from from Canada, as well, not just even from your family. There was, you know, we all had maple syrup. That somebody sent hundreds of these little bottles of maple syrup. So, you know, what did you if, do? That just drink well, it out of the most people just sort of left it out for whoever wanted it. But sometimes they would serve pancakes and stuff at the mess. So, you know, you bring it there and and use it there or whatever. And we all used a communal coffee pot at Ops. So I think any coffee we had would have gone there to just kind of share with everybody. Nice. Anyway. It wasn't an easy time, that's for sure. Yeah, I know. And uh, when I was talking with Greg earlier in the show, that's the thing we kind of realized as we spoke is, for us, we're we're busy. We're doing the same thing as every other day. We know what the risks are. We've already been doing it for a while. It's just another day. But for you guys, it's totally different at home on a day where you pause to think and you normally spend it with family. That It must have been quite difficult. Yeah, it was. Well, thanks for sharing, Mom. No, no problem, hon. Thank you for taking the time to be on the show, too. This is really cool. No problem. I love you. I love you, too. Okay, up next, joining us from Pax River, Maryland, is Jack Weslow. Jack, thanks for joining us. How's it going, Brian? Good. Great. Thanks for taking the time to be here today. We'll talk first about Jack's bio to uh, just learn where he's been and what he's done. Jack joined the RCAF in 2002 and got his wings in 2006. He's been posted to 408 Squadron in Edmonton, One Wing Headquarters in Kingston, 450 Squadron in Petawawa, the Directorate of Air Requirements in Ottawa, and is currently attending the U.S. Navy Test Pilot School in Pax River, Maryland. Jack has deployed to Afghanistan in the Griffin, Mali on the Chinook, and has supported multiple domestic operations on both airframes, accumulating 2,400 hours. So Jack, you were in Afghanistan for this story, right? That's right. And what year was that? So yeah, December 2008, we uh, were deployed from 408 Squadron down to Afghanistan. Group of folks we had been working together with for nearly two years at that point and ended up in Afghanistan together in a relatively short notice deployment. Yeah, you said that it kind of took you guys by surprise, the timing of it, right? The timing, yes. I mean, the, the deployment didn't take us by surprise. We'd known we were slated to go to Afghanistan for over a year at this point, I think. But we were on a 30-day notice to move. And uh, so late November, the squadron had sent five or six aircraft on the road for various exercises and tasks. And we had my two-ship debt down in Fort Sill, Oklahoma. We were going to be supporting some JTAC training and doing some aerial gunnery. And Thanksgiving weekend in the United States, everything's closed. So there was no point in staying at Fort Sill. So we decided to head into Dallas for the weekend to uh, go have some fun. Yeah, absolutely. Can you tell me what a JTAC is? JTAC is Joint Terminal Air Controller. So a person on the ground with a radio directing and guiding aircraft and air launched effects to uh, to have a, an effect on the ground to support the troops. Awesome. So you guys were heading into uh, Dallas-Fort Worth for the weekend? Yeah, heading into Dallas-Fort Worth for the weekend and got a call from my boss saying, yeah, hey, so our 30 days notice to move has been activated, more to follow. So everybody got pretty excited. And as you do, we had a, we had a good time. Everybody starts making phone calls to uh, family and saying, hey, the flag's gone up. We're getting ready to go. Fast forward to the next day and another call from the boss. He says, pack your bags, leave the aircraft in uh, Oklahoma, get on the first commercial flight home. We're leaving in 19 days. 
So 30 days went out the window and so did Christmas at home, unfortunately. <laughs> so where would you have been uh, that Christmas? Where were you planning on being? I uh, would have been home with my family in Edmonton. Were you single at the time or? No, uh, engaged, uh, not married, but all my family is in Ontario. I was born and raised in Southern Ontario, but living in Edmonton for three years at that point, nearly three years at that point. Was that a big surprise for your fiance? I'm assuming that's your wife now. Yes. Yeah. My wife now. Um, was it a surprise? Uh, I think at this point I'd already been working at Ed uh, 408 Squadron for two years. The inevitable changes and variability of military schedules had already started to become normal. So when the, hey, we're going to Afghanistan, we know we're going to Afghanistan. Oh, by the way, I'm going to Afghanistan in 19 days. Uh, <laughs> came through. I don't think she was truly surprised, but you know, it was November 26th or 27th when we finally got the call. So we were starting to hope that with a 30-day notice to move, we were actually going to get Christmas at home. But uh, the uh, forces had a different plan and we uh, we got moving a little bit faster. Good thing was we got into Afghanistan December, I think we landed December 19th. Uh, it was the day we walked off the Herc at night in uh, Kandahar. And then we had our first Griffin flying, I think, four days later. I think it was Christmas Eve when we got the first Griffin flying in Afghanistan. Were you on that Christmas Eve flight? No, at the time I was uh, just a first officer. So it was a couple of maintenance test pilots that just did a quick loop, stayed very close to Kandahar as far as I recall. And then my first flight in Afghanistan was the 28th of December. And we did a whole bunch of uh, local familiarization trips, refreshed our gunnery skills calls, made sure our comms were uh, as tight as we could make them with the experience that we had at the time. Yeah, because you guys were in for a steep learning curve, hey? We were the first group deployed with the newer set of skills for what we ended up calling close combat attack, which was heavily modeled on the United States Marine Corps' aerial gunnery tactics. Because they flew at the time, they had flown November Hueys, they were now flying Yankee Hueys, and the Griffin is similar enough that we could borrow heavily from their experience and their uh, procedures, and we went forward from there. It worked out well. Uh, but we were the first ones to actually go and fly it live in Afghanistan, and sort of validate the learning. That's awesome. So what did that Christmas end up looking like for you? So that Christmas was was interesting. We um, had a sort of a minimum manning day, had a nice barbecue, bit of a sports day, some friendly competition within the detachment. And that was uh, CHFA, so Canadian Helicopter Force Afghanistan. And then that evening, the TFA, Task Force Afghanistan, had put on a, a dinner for everybody who was in Kandahar at that time. And the chief of defense staff, had flown into Afghanistan in order to uh, attend the dinner as well, which was pretty interesting. That was uh, General Walt Natinchik at the time. Yeah, Uncle Walt. Uncle Walt, as he was so fondly remembered. But yeah, he was dedicated to the troops, and he was he was going to be there for Christmas. If we were there for Christmas, he was there too. So it was uh, that was a neat thing to see. Yeah, so that evening, we're having a Christmas dinner, and uh, at one point, our paths crossed. I was there with uh, a couple of other first officers, and we had colluded to where the most tacky Hawaiian shirts that we could possibly find. And I had a Santa hat on and our, our paths crossed for the general. At one point, we, uh, we snapped a picture with the four of us flanking him in the middle and me wearing my Santa hat. And of course, picture this, you've got four fresh faced guys, still pretty pasty from a Canadian winter, Hawaiian shirts, pistol holsters, rifles slung over your shoulder and general Natinchik in the middle. And uh, so that was a, it was a funny picture at the time. And we thought that was great. And, the following Christmas, so 2009, we're back in Canada. There's other rotations from 408 now out in Afghanistan. And the CDS's Christmas card comes out. 
And what is it but the four of us flanking General Natinshik in Afghanistan from the year before? That's hilarious. And you guys had no idea who was going to use that? No idea. Yeah, combat camera had been had been floating around and taking pictures as they do. And yeah, it was just a, a, an entertaining picture. And then, yeah, the next year it was it was General Natinshik's Christmas card, or at least one of the Christmas cards that came out. Oh, that's so funny. You'll have to, uh, I'll have to get you to send me a copy of that if you have a digital copy and I can put it up in the show notes. I reached out to some buddies of mine and they, they actually still had a copy of it and it's great. Yeah, I'm not sure they would have chosen that one as a, as a Christmas card if they'd known that we'd been in theater for less than a week at that point, but it certainly made us, certainly made us laugh. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. How was the uh, food that Christmas? What'd you guys get? As I recall, I think we got turkey or chicken and mashed potatoes, vegetables. It was, uh, it was a, a good approximation of a Christmas dinner. So it was kind of fun to share that with everybody. And again, the nice thing is because we had been pushed out the door as quickly as, as we could, as, as quickly as the squadron could manage, we had an aircraft flying and we got a good meal for Christmas. So a little bit of a consolation prize for uh, spending Christmas in Afghanistan. Were you able to reach back and uh, talk to your fiance or your family? Yeah, actually, uh, it was interesting we had access to uh, a slow but reasonably reliable internet connection right in our uh, bed spaces, which was kind of a, a real luxury. I know we, we were very lucky in Kandahar to get that, and I know the guys out in the FOBs didn't. But uh, we were able to reach back, and I was able to chat with my wife through uh, text at the time, but on an almost daily basis. So that was a, a real nice treat. And the older guys who were on our deployment who had been in Bosnia, Kosovo, Haiti, all, all those older uh, deployments. This was their first experience with that. They had dealt with like, you get a satellite phone and you get 15 minutes on the phone a week and that's about it. And uh, for us to have a, an internet connection for ourselves that we get access to whenever we want was a, was a bit of a game changer for them. It was interesting to have that perspective from people who had been deployed, you know, 20 years before. How did your family spend that, that Christmas? My wife ended up flying home and spent it with, uh, with family, so it was easier for her to travel to Ontario. And uh, so, yeah, she spent it with family back in Ontario. That's good that they were able to be together. And were they uh, handling it pretty well? Were they worried about you while you were there, or were they feeling pretty good about everything? My mom was the one who, who voiced the most concern because she's my mom. That's what she does. We had a long lead up to this. We'd known for nearly a year at this point that we were going. We just didn't know the exact date. So we had lots of time to prepare and we were getting routine news out of Afghanistan as well with what the Canadians, the armies was already doing there. So we had a pretty good idea of what we were getting into. Okay. That was similar to my experience. My mom was pretty concerned. Um, I felt pretty good about it. It's always interesting. Uh, once you have a chance to sort of get used to the idea that you're going there and you start focusing on the job, I think it's harder, a lot harder for the people at home than it is for us. Uncertainty is always hard to manage. Yeah, Absolutely. So thanks so much for sharing that story with us today. I really appreciate you taking the time to be here and, uh, and for sharing that with us. So thank you. Thanks, Brian. Thanks so much for joining us for those Christmas stories. I really think it's great to hear about what life is like for deployed members at Christmas. Thanks again to our guests, Greg, Rob, my mom, Diana, and Jack. Our next episode in the new year will focus on phase three flight training on the helicopter here in Southport, Manitoba. And that'll be with my good friend, Vic Weston. You don't want to miss it. If you'd like to send a message of support to deployed troops, or if you are deployed and would like to see them, trust me, it's heartwarming. Check out our show notes for a link to a Canada.ca message board. 
If you have any questions for me or for a pilot from any specific aircraft, you can send them to our email at thepilotprojectpodcast at gmail.com or to any of our socials at at podpilotproject. If you are a pilot or aircrew and you have sweet photos or videos, send them to our email with a short explanation and any accounts you would like tagged, and we'll share them. From everyone here at the Pilot Project Podcast, we wish you and your loved ones a safe and happy holiday. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. That's all for now. Thanks for listening. Keep the blue side up. See ya! Engineer, shut down all four. Shutting down all four engines.